Welcome to Heart, Soul, and Mind, the podcast from Centenary United Methodist Church. I'm Dr. Glenn Kinkin, Senior Minister here at Centenary. My hope is that this podcast will give you some good news for your journey today. If you would join with me in your Bible or the Pew Bible in front of you, today's lesson comes from the Gospel of Matthew, the third chapter, beginning with verses 13 through 17. Hear with me now the words of the Lord. Then Jesus came up from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so now, for it is proper for us in this way to fulfill all righteousness. And then he consented. And when Jesus had been baptized, just as he came up from the water, suddenly the heavens were opened to him, and he saw God's spirit descending like a dove, alighting on him. And a voice from the heavens said, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Oh, holy Lord, we gather in this place to hear your word read and proclaimed. At the beginning of another calendar year, thinking about who we are, whose we are, and who you would have us be. So, Lord, let us listen intently to your words. Let them be anchored deep within our souls so that our lives might be transformed. That this year that we would be not just hearers of your words, but doers of your words. In your son's holy name we pray. Amen. So what... If you think about all of the days that you have lived in your life, all the days, what is the greatest day in your life? Think about it. Think about it with me. Just think about across the years, what is the greatest day in your life? Maybe it's the day you got your driver's license. Possibly your college acceptance. Maybe it's graduation. Or how about the day you got your dream job, or the day you retired, or, careful now, maybe it's your wedding day, or maybe it's the birth of your first child, nothing against other children, maybe it's your first child, maybe it's the birth of a grandchild, I'll let you choose which one. 
I'm not trying to start anything. I'm trying to figure out which is the day, birth order, all of that kind of stuff. I'm not just creating any anxiety either. It's tough, isn't it? If I said, name the one greatest day in your life, it's tough to do. So I'll tell you what, I'm going to give you a break. Name the two greatest days in your life. Have you got them figured out yet? How many of you are thinking that the greatest day or one of the two greatest days is your birthday? Raise your hand. There's a couple of you, okay. How many of you think it's the day of your baptism? Raise your hand. You're in luck. Almost all of you are just like the folks at 930. No one got that one. But bear with me this morning. I promise you, I'm going somewhere with this. Bear with me that these might be the two greatest days in your life, the day of your birth and the day of your baptism. Just think about that this morning. So today, liturgically, this is the Sunday that we celebrate both Epiphany and the baptism of the Lord. Sort of smushed together. It's two events that happened 30 years apart And in the course of this year, it's two events that happened two days apart on the calendar. Epiphany is always January the 6th, which was Friday. The baptism of the Lord is always the Sunday following Epiphany. So think about this. What we know about Epiphany is that in the Protestant church, we know that Epiphany, the feast day of Epiphany, is we remember the visit of the Magi. When those kings from the east, they brought the richest of gifts and they came to Bethlehem And they found Jesus. They found the baby Jesus and they worshipped him. Now what we take note of this is we know that they brought the best gifts, right? But we know that these kings, these powerful rulers, came to bow down and worship a baby, an infant, a child born king of kings. What we also know as we read in Matthew's gospel is that they had, they had a general idea. They were following the star, but they weren't quite sure where it was going to lead them. So they had to get some help, and they actually asked Herod, who consulted all, had his people consult all the prophecies, and told them Bethlehem. But here's something you probably don't know about Epiphany. At one point in the Christian church, Epiphany and Christmas Day were smushed together as sort of an all-in-one celebration. So when we talk about this sometimes on uh, Christmas Eve, when we talk about the shepherds and the angels, and we get everybody coming to Bethlehem, and then we, we sort of sneak the, shep- the, the magi in the side door, we're actually just going back in history. Because it wasn't until 567 A.D. at the Council of Tours that the Christian church thought we might ought to separate the two events. We might ought to separate the visit of the Magi. We might ought to separate the Nativity, separate them a little bit. And so up until that point, we had been celebrating as Christians the birth of Jesus on or about the 6th of January. And so at the Council of Tours in 567 A.D., all the theological powerhouses says, let's split them up. And we'll set Christmas Day for December the 25th, and we'll set Epiphany still on the 6th of January. And thus you get the 12 days of Christmas. But what we sort of forgot along the way was that Epiphany was more than just, at that time, more than just about the visit of the Magi. It was about the revelation of who Jesus is. 
fact, for the world to realize exactly why Jesus' birth was important, that he wasn't just a baby, but to understand exactly the full depth of who this babe in the manger was. This revelation, that's why we use, when we use the cliche, I had an epiphany, we talk about I had an idea, we had a, I had a dawning on me. It didn't mean that I had three rich friends who come to visit me and bring me nice gifts. I mean, think about it. How many of you said I have an epiphany? We never really realized that. Epiphany is about that. It's about a revealing, a revelation. And so thus, as the church begins to celebrate the baptism of the Lord, as we celebrate that in our liturgical model, after Epiphany, we are reminded of who Jesus is. It's a revelation of who Jesus is, not only to us, but to the world. So look back with me at the text in Matthew 3. We start there. Jesus, this carpenter's son from Galilee, he's beginning his ministry. So he leaves Galilee, he goes to the Jordan River where his cousin John is baptizing sinners and he tells them, repent, because the time is coming. Repent, the Messiah is coming, the time is here. And so he comes, Jesus, to his cousin John and he says, baptize me. Now, John, because their cousins, knows that Jesus is more than just a carpenter's son, knows the story of Jesus' birth, knows all of the family lore, and he also knows that Jesus is sinless. So John says, whoa, no, 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 I shouldn't be baptizing you, you should baptize me, because you're the one that's got the upper hand, if you will. But instead, Jesus tells him, no, we need to do this to fulfill all righteousness. We need to do this so that I can set the example. We need to do this because I want all who identify, all in the world to know that I identify with them, that the world needs repentance. This is this moment where Jesus, fully divine and fully human, becomes apparent. Jesus gets us. Remember, Jesus knows our struggles, knows our shortcomings, knows what that's like. And so Jesus knows that we need repentance. And so he is baptized to show us the way to model that sense of repentance for us. But as he comes up from the water, something miraculous happened. God's spirit like a dove, it says, descends from heaven and alights on his shoulder And then God speaks. And God says, this is my son, the beloved, with whom I am pleased. Now, Matthew's account is very significant because if you take the synoptic gospels, if you take Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and you kind of put them side by side, you put the baptism stories together, in in Mark and Luke, God says, you are my beloved son. God is speaking to Jesus. But in Matthew, God speaks to everyone that is around the riverbank that day and says, this is my son, my beloved, with whom I'm pleased. The sense here is what's happening. There is this epiphany where God is revealing exactly who Jesus is. Which now brings us full circle back to that question I asked you. Back to you and me, that the two days, the two greatest days in our life are probably our birth and our baptism. Because at birth, we are given the gift of life. At baptism, we are given rebirth, the gift of eternal life. And so when we fix these two orbs, these two 
dates on our calendars of life, we begin to realize not only who we are and whose we are, but what we're to be about. Think about this idea of the gift of life. This past week, we have seen some stark reminders of the value of life. Early in the week, we saw that there was an arrest made of the man accused of killing those four Idaho college students. That story is a story of potential loss of voided red letter dates, of dreams that parents had had that are no longer to be there, of empty seats at holiday tables. Gone in an instant. Or last Monday night when the Buffalo Bills player, Damar Hamlin, he collapsed after a seemingly innocuous hit in a football game. And that very moment reminded us of the fragility of life. Even as he recovers, we are reminded of how quick it can go. And then personally for me, I had a conversation with my dear friends this week over the Christmas holiday. He and his family were traveling and they were going to visit some of his family. And as they were getting ready to go through an intersection, they clearly had the green light. A car turned in front of them and as best he could hit the brakes, the car didn't stop. And they had an awful accident. The, ba- the airbags deployed, everything, glasses were launched. As he said, fortunately, Glenn, everybody's okay. Nobody got hurt. We all walked away from it. Other than a slight burn from where the airbag deployed in my seat, other than that, we are all fine. He says, but in that instant, as I watched it happen in slow motion, as I'm jamming on the brakes and trying to will the car to stop, all I could think of is, this is the day that my family dies. Life. Life, it's so valuable. So think with me a bit about your life. Think about your birthday. Think of this with me. Think of just about you for a moment. It's all about you. Very rarely is it, but it's all about you in this instant. Think of the way, think of the wonderful and unique ways that the 23 Me genes in you, the way they're all arranged, the how you are made up uniquely the way you are. That there is no one else in the world exactly like you. Think of that miracle of life. Think about the fact that every time you breathe in and breathe out, that you're reflexively breathing the breath of God. Think about back to creation when Genesis says that God formed humanity from the mud and then breathed life into us by breathing into our nostrils. That we, that you are made in the image of God. Think about how wonderful that is. Think about at your birthday, the day that you received the gift of life, that the world received the gift of you. What have you done? And what will you do with the rest of this gift of life? So how many of you made New Year's resolutions? Raise your hands. It's okay, don't be ashamed, it's all right. The rest of you didn't. Don't be ashamed either. Let me tell you about the great thing about resolutions. Now, these are better than these are my, they're better than my goals for the year. I like the idea of resolutions. They're the best words because resolutions are these things where we say, "This is what I'm going to do," and in parentheses, almost no matter what. This is what I resolve. This is what I am committing myself to this year. See, the great thing about resolutions, the New Year's resolutions, is it's an attempt for us to be our best selves. 
that we want to change some things about us to be better than we were last year, that by the end of this year, that we're going to be a better image of ourselves. So the human condition, in my mind, sort of wanders in four quadrants. There's, there's the relational quadrant, there's the physical, the mental, and the spiritual quadrant. So we make resolutions along those four quadrants, relationships, physically, mentally, spiritually, when we resolve to be our best selves in those four quadrants, watch out world, because you won't know what to do with us. See, that's the gift of life, that your birthday is one of the greatest days in your life because it's the day you got life. It's one of the greatest days in the life of the world because we got you, this gift of life. But to truly understand the depth of that gift, I think we need to look at the other date, the date of our baptism, the date of sort of our rebirth, because what baptism is, is it's a spiritual birth. It's a revealing not only of who we are, but what we're to be about, why we have this gift of life. It's an epiphany of sorts, if you will, because at baptism, two things are happening. First, we are adopted into the family of God, and second, we receive a calling as a servant of God. In my, in my role as an ordained minister in, over my career, I think one of the favorite things to do for me are baptisms. It's not because of the pageantry of the water and, and the spirit. It's not because of, you know, seeing the baby and, and family gowns or anything like that. What happens at baptism is what is amazing to me. Because when we baptize an individual, whether it's a an infant or a youth or an adult, there are three promises being made. And I love the fact that these three promises are made because it ties us all together. The first promise is a promise of God. It's this idea of naming. So when we ask the baptized, what name does God know you by? We ask the parents of a baby, what name is given this child? It's not that we can't remember. We know the name. It's right there on the page. But we want that name said aloud because that is the name that you are known by. We don't worry about the surname because that may change. But your first and your middle name and all the others that you have, those are the names that you go by. By naming that, that says that you belong to the family of God. It's as if when you're baptized, God says, this is my child with whom I am pleased because that's what's happening. The other part of God's promise is this idea of provenient grace, that no matter what, that we have been forgiven and that salvation is available to us, that eternal life is our gift even before we knew that we needed it. That God was working to make that happen. And that God's promise is that our sins are washed away and that we are given that gift of eternal life. The second promise is the promise that parents make. You know, they testify and they profess their faith. They say, this is what we believe. This is who we are. But they promise to raise the child in the faith in this particular church unless their families move, that this is where they're going to be and they're going to do their part as mom and dad to bring this child up in this place. They promise to model, their, they, to promise to model the Christian faith in life until such time that the child takes it on their own. We call that confirmation. But they make this promise to you and to me and especially to God and to the child that we're going to do our best as parents to raise you up and bring you up in this faith that means so much to us. And then there's the third promise. 
our promise. We promise that we're going to model Christian faith as well. We promise that we're going to live in our baptismal vows to resist evil, injustice, and oppression, whatever forms they present, present themselves. We're going to repent of our sin. We're going to lead a Christian life. We're going to be followers of the risen Christ. And we're going to work on our own discipleship as we encourage the parents to work on theirs, as we model it and offer it to this child. We say that we're going to surround the parents with support and with love. And what we're doing with that is it's really, that's why baptisms are an act of the community. It's why we don't go do them privately elsewhere. It's why when you're baptized, you're baptized into this church. It's why we don't baptize people that live in Texas on a Sunday morning here so they can go back because they're not able to be surrounded by us. What we're saying when we baptize is that we're saying that you are now not only a part of God's family, but you're a part of this church family. That we're going to accept your child as our child. Your child is now a child of this church. I think back to when we, when I, my first appointment, was, we were there when Clara was born. And one of the few perks you get as being the child of a clergy person is you get to be the church child, whether you want it or not. But it's got its advantages, as she quickly discovered. You know, we could bring her into Wednesday night supper, and we could turn her loose, and she could wander around from table to table and say hello to people. She could get hugs. People loved her. They asked about her day. They would let them tell her knock-knock jokes, whatever. But she knew that Eddie Black had lollipops, always. She would, as soon as we got there, she needed to go see Mr. Eddie, because she needed a lollipop before dinner. Just let it go. She did that, but she also knew that Margaret in the kitchen had cookies. None of the rest of us got cookies. I could go back there and say, hey, Margaret, you got any cookies? And she said, nope. Claire would come out five minutes later munching on a cookie, and I'm thinking, mm-hmm, secret stash, child of the church. But see, all of our children, baptized children, they're all our children, and they're our responsibility. That's the promise that we make to raise them up, to model the faith so they see it in our lives. This idea of baptism, our spiritual rebirth, means that we have a new family, that we have a new existence. And it says, Casey Musgrave says in her song, family is family no matter what. In our baptism, we are adopted into the family of God. But baptism is more than just that. It's also the realization that we have been given a calling to serve. As Jesus came up out of that water, as the dove descended, as the Lord said, this is my son with whom I am pleased, there is a sense that there is a calling to serve that lands on Jesus' shoulder, and he goes out and carries it in his ministry. Friends, when the water settles off of us, the same is true. We as well are God's child and to whom God is pleased, or for whom God is pleased, but we are also called to go forth and serve. We begin to think about this idea of life and the joy and what life means. And we get this idea of a spiritual rebirth. What we begin is that we're, we begin to realize that we are called to live that life out in the world around us to show the world the joy of being in this family. The Apostle Paul talks about this and is in, uh, in, the idea of the priesthood of all believers. that as a priesthood of all believers, that we all have a responsibility to love one another and to love the world. That we have a responsibility to serve one another humbly where it's not about us, but it's about the other person. 
that we're to set the example of Christian living. Now, that's really key here. To set the example means to not live self-righteously like you need to do like I do, but to show by our example, to not judge, to not be passive-aggressive about it, but to be faithful in living and to show people the way and reflect the light of Christ. It's about giving our best and first for God. It's about doing our part to be, if you will, an everyday saint. You know what I'm talking about. You know those people that you think like, oh, so-and-so, she's such a saint, or so-and-so, he's such a saint. We're not talking about the Mother Teresas of the world, though they are great saints as well. We're talking about just everyday good people. Friends, that's what we're called to do, how we are called to serve through our baptism. See, at our spiritual birth, our spiritual rebirth, at our baptism, we, is a day that we belong to the family of God and we come to understand that. The day that we receive our calling. And this is the day that sets the stage for all the other red letter days in our lives. Because those are all important milestones for you and for me. But they only matter if we understand what we're supposed to do with them, how we're supposed to live with them. So here's your homework this week. The first piece of homework is to go home and to pull out your calendar. I don't care which type you use, whether you use an electronic calendar, you'll have to do a little different with it, or a paper calendar. But take your birthday, and once you circle your birthday in red ink or something that makes it stand out so you know that that's a special day. That's a great day. Now, here's where the hard work gets a little harder. You got to do a little digging for this one. Maybe you need to ask some of your family members, search the family records. But I want you to find your baptism date. Some of you go, "Ah, it's going to be a little harder for me, Glenn. Like I was baptized back in May of sometime in the 1940s, and I'm not quite sure when. Okay, if that's the best you can get back to is May of a certain year in 1940, then take a day in May and just decide that that's the date of your baptism. It's okay. God knows it and you know it. But circle that date on your calendar as well. And what I want you to do is to realize that those two dates, your birthday and that baptism date, all the other red letter dates in your life, all the other days in your life matter only to the fullest extent by those two dates. The date that you got the gift of life, the date that you got the gift of rebirth of eternal life. So as you live through this life, as you live through this year, when your birthday comes, celebrate that and realize that today is a great day. And remember the joy and the power and the awe of this gift of life. As your baptism day comes around, remember the joy and the power and the awe that you are part of God's family, that you have this calling. Use that day to realize that you have a calling to be faithful. You have a calling to follow the risen Christ. And let those two days, as they come upon your calendar, let them be an epiphany for you, a revelation, a realization of what God is calling you to do, who God has called you to be, and who you were created to be. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen and amen.
Thank you for listening to Heart, Soul, and Mind, the podcast for Centenary United Methodist Church. We hope that you will consider joining us for worship on Sunday mornings at 9 or 11 a.m. Blessings. Blessings.